of the Word of God. Acts 6 tells us about the importance of the Word forming us to serve others. Acts 6 tells us about the Word and deed. And Acts 6 tells us the role of shepherds and deacons, though neither title are used. We started a series a few weeks ago on the diaconate, or the role of deacons, who deacons are. And we've looked last, uh, the first time at the serving joy of the deacon from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. The promise of reward for the deacon. We looked last week at the steel character of the deacon. And how uh, deacons are to be in their person, in their family, in their doctrine, and in their home life, and their affirmation of the church as a congregation. And today I'd like to look at the diaconate, serving agents of Christ's mercy. The deacons who are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, having a servant's heart. I think we can see that in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 tells us that there was a church blossoming. Acts 6 tells us there were shepherds who were serving the people through word and prayer. Acts 6 tells us that there was a neglected need. And then there were men who were appointed to fill that need so that the word of God and prayer would not be neglected. And then there was the approval of the Spirit of God. I'd like you to notice uh, verse 1 with me. Notice what it says. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now the twelve, the apostles, they were the overseers of that first church. They were using Jerusalem to launch out into uh, a worldwide uh, uh, outreach of discipleship, the gospel and discipleship. They were the church's shepherds. And as such, they were responsible to feed the sheep through the teaching of the word of God and overseeing the congregation. Apparently, in chapter 4, verse 32, through 5, verse 11, they also oversaw the collection of monies and gifts from the congregation to be used from the poor. The church was expanding. Notice in chapter 6, and verse 1, it says, When the number of the disciples was multiplied. These were exciting days for the church. The church was expanding, and it was expanding outside of their ethnic borders. It was changing demographics. When demographics change in churches, the flesh has a hard time dealing with that. And the church is becoming more multi-ethnic. 
You see, what was happening was there were Greek-speaking Jews called Hellenistic Jews, different from the Aramaic-speaking Jews who were native Jerusalem. They had immigrated to Jerusalem from other lands, and they were many times culturally broader. They were many times ideologically broader in thinking and in their outlook than the Jews native to Israel who were a part of the uh, converts. They had become a minority group in the Jerusalem church. This is never God's wish. God desires to see a unified church here. They were not as conservative in the Aramaic as the Aramaic uh, native-born Jews in their thinking. They had very different political views. They had a global way of thinking that was not comfortable to those who had grown up in Jerusalem. And as a result, there was a division that was not intended by Christ among His people that was happening. Notice what it says there. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians, the Hellenistic Jews, against the Hebrews, the native Jews there, because their widows, the Grecians, uh, the Hellenistic Jews, were neglected in their daily ministration. There is a vision that was happening. The food and the funds uh, were distributed to the needy in the church, and the Hellenistic Jewish widows were being neglected, and it was being noticed. Serious issue in Christ's church. Remember how Jesus told his disciples about the love they needed to have for one another, regardless of ethnic differences and different ways of thinking. How was the church going to love, despite their prejudices and different ways of thinking and looking at the world? What is the Spirit of God, who is the main character in the book of Acts, what is He going to do in the church so that their gospel witness would thrive and shine brightly? And Acts chapter 6, verses 1-7 through answers that question. And the answer is in the prototype for what I believe are deacons. The answer is found in verse 2 through 4. <clears throat> verse 2 says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now there's an additional problem identified. The apostles who are serving as overseers and shepherds here in the early church in Jerusalem would be neglecting their first duty to pray and serve the word to the church if, that's, uh, if serving the tables, uh, serving these widows was all that they did. Now some people say that uh, it, is not, it was not their role to do that, and they miss the rest of the book of Acts. You see, it wasn't that these, these twelve were, were not willing to care for the widows. And ch- in fact, if you look at chapter 4, verse um, uh, uh, 34 through 37, you can see some of the stuff that was happening there in the early church. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, really the whole chapter, but verse 32 says, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostle witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Excuse me. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Why? Next phrase. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They brought them to the apostles. The apostles would distribute these funds, that had been, uh, that, these assets that had been liquidated to those who were in need in the church. 
Barnabas was one of these people. What happens in the next chapter is some people who take advantage of that and <clears throat> look at that as an opportunity to build their own reputation and uh, Ananias and Sapphira are, 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 are killed for that. So they were certainly willing to care for the widows. <clears throat> look at chapter 5 and, <clears throat> and verse... Uh, and, well, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, there you can see the innocent the, the Sapphira there, they, they, they sold a piece of land, and who do they bring it to? They bring it to Peter. Bring it to Peter. So they were involved in this. Also, you can uh, look in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. James and Peter and John. Give some instructions. They welcome Paul, and Galatians chapter two verse ten says, "Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do." What was appropriate? In Acts chapter twenty verses thirty four and thirty five, Paul, as he talks to the Ephesian elders, he talks about how he even labored with his own hands to help those who had need. Acts 20, verse 34 and 35 says this, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here is the Apostle Paul who was involved in helping the poor of the church. So the problem was not that they were, weren't willing to do this. The problem was that their charitable work for the poor in the church was keeping them from their primary duty. Notice what is said here by the apostles in verse 2. They say, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What is he saying here? That word that is not reason can be a word that is, that is translated as not right. It is not desirable to serve tables at the expense of leaving the teaching of the Word of God and prayer. Why is that true? Well, it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, in giving the law to Moses the second time, God says this, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee known that that, that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus, in John chapter 6 and verse 27, puts it this way. John 6.27 Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. They understood the priority of the Word of God in prayer. So chapter 6 of Acts and verse 4 uh, reminds us again of their focus. They say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We will give ourselves, that's a word, a devote. It means a steadfast, a single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action is what one lexicon defines it as. 
We will give ourselves, be devoted, be earnest here. And applied here, it means that the, that the apostles, the overseers of the church in Jerusalem, were to have a laser focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. Why is that important? Because it helps us understand the role of those who are appointed to help solve that problem. See, the love and service of the early church had to begin with a word and prayer ministry. You see, in Acts chapter 1, it is through fervent prayer in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. It is through the proclamation of the word of God in Acts chapter 3 through Peter that the love and service flows out. If you look with me in Acts chapter 2, a couple chapters earlier, verse 44 and 45, says, And all that believed were together. Thanks. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. When did that happen? That happened after they received the word of God. Previous verses. And were baptized. So the ministry of the word of God in prayer was was important because it, it it set up what was necessary for a gospel culture. They needed the gospel doctrine to set up a gospel culture. A culture of loving one another. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 through 34. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There is a self-sacrificing love in this church, but there were some things that were assaulting it. There is a self-sacrificing love that is in a spirit-formed community that existed. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 32. I showed you in chapter 2. You can see it in chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. Sacrificial love, one is said, is the essence of the Christian life. As Christ lives in us and the Spirit ministers His life through us. The life of Christ's words and the life of Christ's deeds, His actions. You see, there are two categories of ministry in Christ's church. They are word and deed. Word and deed. If you go with me to Romans chapter 15, you'll see we need both. Romans chapter 15 and verse 18. Paul says, For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought or worked by me, To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. We're familiar with Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Let's go there and see what Paul has to say. Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, I want you to know, sometimes we interpret that to mean just whatever you do, whether you're speaking or whether you're doing things. 
But this is a context of ministry here. This is a context of ministry in a local church. And Paul's saying, whatever you do in word ministry or deed ministry, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I think you see these two categories pretty clearly in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. And we need both, by the way. What would a church be if all it did was teach, 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 and didn't apply the teaching, right? And what would a church be if all it did was do, 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 and never had doctrine? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak, here is the word ministry. How is he supposed to speak? Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, that's the idea of service and deeds. Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now there are some people who are very good at both word and deed ministry. And two of them are mentioned here. Can you think of who they are? In Acts 6, Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip obviously had word gifts, served the word, but apparently also had Deed ministry as well. But the work of the church needs both as essential to work. And some are stronger more in one than another. But to solve this this problem of the ministry of the word of God and prayer being neglected, the twelve have a wise solution in Acts chapter 6. They say in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So here's the solution. Select seven of a particular qualification to serve in this manner. Now, we looked at the character qualities of a deacon last week, and Gary hit on them a few weeks ago uh, while I was sick uh, uh, in my absence, and and of these ones listed here. But we'll just remind ourselves of the importance of men who have spirit-filled character. But let's understand what the task they were assigned was. Verse 1, the problem was widows were neglected in daily ministration, so the daily serving. Verse 2 says, the 12 identified it as uh, serving tables. Serving tables. What does this mean, serving tables? Well, it could mean a couple of things. Tables could mean uh, food or meals, such as is used in Acts 16.34. It's also used figuratively for finances, such as money tables, in Luke chapter 19, verse 23. If it means meals for the widows... And of course, that would also include the money that they receive from the church collections for these meals and accounting for it. If it means money tables, then they were distributing money for food to the widows and tracking uh, the collecting and sharing. We don't know exactly, we can't be dogmatic on it, but we know it involves money, doesn't it? These seven were the church's official ministers of mercy. They uh, administered charity and welfare to the church's needy members so that the credible witness of the word of God that was adorned and decorated by their deeds could be shown in love and mercy to the suffering members. How important was this? Well, look at verse 7. Luke connects this intimately to the expansion of the church and the furtherance of the gospel. He says, And the word of God increased, 
And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. He quickly includes those words in the heels of the ministry of these seven men. So what does that tell us? What can we learn about deacons from the precedents that I believe are set in Acts chapter 6? These seven are not given the title of deacon in Acts chapter 6. Just as these overseeing the church weren't given the title of overseers or elders. But the form of the word deacon, diakonos, appears frequently in the original language and even this section. Uh, in Acts chapter uh, 6 and verse 1b, the daily ministration, it's a form of the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. At the end of chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 2b, serve, serve there. Uh, certainly, uh, there is, a, is another form of the word diakonos, serving. It can be a general word, serving in a variety of ways. Here, but I don't think it's an accident that that, uh, that uh, the, the material that Luke includes here, he sets precedence down the road for as the church is in like a, like a wet cement stage. And later on, at the end of his life, Paul's writing books like Timothy, where he identifies two offices, overseers or elders, commonly called pastor, and deacons. Uh, we looked at last week, 1 Timothy 3. He puts them together, links them together. And certainly if Peter, who is one of these twelve in the church, calls himself in 1 Peter chapter 5 a fellow elder, then perhaps these seven could say to other deacons who follow them that they were fellow deacons in the spirit-led organization of the New Testament church that hardens into, into concrete offices perhaps later on as, it, as the church goes on. And I believe that this is a prototype for the churches that follows this pattern that is set. And what do we learn? What do we learn? Well, we learn a few things here about the servant heart of the, of the diaconate as they served and, and, and filled this gap here so that the overseers could do their work. They ministered to these widows. We see that deacons have a distinct role. Deacons are not called to do elder work. They're not called to do that. The church has two offices, overseers and it has deacons. There is an official office of overseeing and shepherding through the ministry of the word and prayer. By the way, that office is... is, is um, is very uh, explicitly defined as to what a, an elder is to do. Um, and there is also a publicly recognized office of men who are supposed to tend to the things in the ministry that would keep the overseers from doing their duty. I think we see these uh, two offices very clearly in Philippians 1, verse 1, where Paul writes to the overseers, the bishops, and the deacons, and also in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul talks about the, um, the elders and their qualifications, and then right after that, the deacons and theirs. So that's one thing we can see, is there are two offices here. Overseers lead the church, and deacons assist. Deacons are publicly recognized servants of the church. Notice what it says in verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. Who is he talking to? The brethren, the disciples that he gathered together. Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. How would they know they were honest report? Well, they were known among the disciples. Full of the Holy Ghost in business, whom we may appoint over this business. So they're publicly recognized servants of the church. The other thing we learn is that deacons serve the church by freeing up the overseers to do their job. 
And I would say in the context of this, it's primarily by mercy ministry, though not limited to that. The overarching principle is to free up the overseers to do the things that would keep them from doing the ministry of the word and prayer. And how that's fleshed out in this chapter is by mercy ministry. Now, what does this mean for us as a church, corporately? Well, it it reminds us that deacons are not the spiritual authority of the church. Uh, The overseers of of South Oak Community Church are. Those who have been uh, appointed as elders are. It also means for us that we need to have an eye out for potential deacon candidates. Men who fit the character that we looked at last week of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And men who are already showing themselves to be servants of our church. A few years ago, uh, I had an individual um, uh, send a letter in the mail saying he was resigning his membership. And his reason was he had never been asked to be a deacon or a trustee. And he had been asked to do that in other churches he had been. And um, there was a reason he was never asked. Because he wasn't already doing those kinds of things. See, there was a man who was in it for the title. He wanted that recognition, but he wasn't already doing that kind of work. He wanted to just be slipped to the top there, so to speak, without having a proven track record. And folks, we need to have our eyes out for people who are already doing that kind of work. Same thing with elders. Who is doing elder work already and meets those qualifications? I passed out a sheet several weeks ago. Uh, have you seen these men? And, and I've got a few back, but not, not, uh, not very many. Uh, but wondering, uh, are there people that you see that meet these character qualifications and, and, and would be good to serve in team chemistry as a, as, a, as a team of elders who are already doing this kind of work, elder work? The same is true of deacons. Are there men who are already doing this kind of work and meet these character character qualifications? There's something else that this means for South Hope Community Church corporately. It means we need to let our deacons know needs they can tend to. Not to be scared of that. <clears throat> I just heard uh, from a pastor friend uh, about a, a lady who, uh, an elder lady who hadn't had heat for like a week. But she thought she'd be okay and was telling everybody, you know, she'd make it. I don't know if that's just maybe the mentality up here sometimes or what. But we need to understand that we need help. Apparently these widows let people know they needed help. Now I realize their circumstances may have been more dire than ours here. Um, perhaps their, their husbands had been arrested and persecuted. We don't know. Uh, but uh, the role of a widow was very difficult in those days as the, as the man was the breadwinner. We need to let people know, our deacons know, that there's needs that they can tend to. Now, what does this mean for you as an individual? What does this mean for you as an individual? Well, you need to know that the, the roles of the two offices of the church. How Christ has outlined in His Word the administration of the household of God so that, remember 1 Timothy 3, 14-16, so that our conduct is pleasing to the Lord and we are a pillar and a buttress, a fortress of the truth. 
We need to let our overseers serve according to the scripturally outlined job description. And we need to let deacons do their job as, as one has said, as, as shock absorbers there in the vehicle of the church. And the publicly recognized hands of this body. And individuals, men, need to grow in these qualifications. Consider serving the office of a deacon. And individually, you need to let deacons know of personal needs they can help you with. That you need help with. So there's great application here. And it is one of God's ordained gifts to us. To give us men who serve in the office of a deacon. We had a deacons meeting uh, uh, this one of the evenings this week. And are asking our deacons, um, it, fill in the blank. Ideally, I would like to serve as a deacon by doing blank. He had three different answers from three, three of our different deacons. And I want to tell you that um, uh, we have men who love to serve, who are serving as our deacons here. Let them serve, let them do it well, and remember the promise in 1 Timothy 3.13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well gain a good degree and a confidence in the faith that's in Jesus Christ. There's great reward. And for those of you who are maybe on the fence, I meet these character qualifications. Can God use me as a deacon? I want you to prayerfully consider how God could use you in this role. It's not for everybody. That's why there are seven men here in this uh, church particularly recognized. But I know that God has has a heart to see more and more of us serve Him wholeheartedly. We're His servants. He's in control. We're servants and he desires to use us because he loves us. Let's pray.